it's that time again. It's season two. It's Trapo, the show that talks about stuff on purpose, and it's spooky. It's extra spooky because we're talking about uh, spooky stuff. Halloween tide. Yeah, it's, it's the Hallow tide. I guess. Whatever the fuck. It's spooky. You like spooky at Trapo. Trapo equals spooky, but not in ways you would expect. <laughs> but yeah, I'm Dustin. I'm Kai. Today, because it's it's current, it's timely. We're going to talk about 2022's Hellraiser reboot. It's time. Greater delights await. We wish to see you proceed. Feed it. Their blood, their pain, all for us. Which is, I guess it's a Hulu exclusive, a Hulu original, directed by David Bruckner, and starring nobody. I mean, well, I mean, it stars the guy who was on several seasons of ER, Goran, I, I, I've never heard anyone pronounce his last name, and I'm terribly sorry. I don't know how, maybe... There's a lot of J's in weird places. Yeah, there's some consonants there. V-I-S-N-J-I-C. Maybe the uh, IMDb trivia will tell me how to pronounce this asshole's name. I'm gonna look real quick. Ba, ba, da, ba. He has a son named Tin. T-I-N? Yep. Ooh. Oh, his last name is pronounced Vishnik. Thank you, IMDb Trivia. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, Hellraiser 2022, starring Goran Vishnik from ER and uh, the movie Practical Magic. He played the uh, asshole who... Uh, was dating Nicole Kidman's character and then she killed him accidentally because I think she, I think it was an accident, but she killed him and he came back as like a zombie. He was the uh, the foreigner who was obsessed with Western culture. He insisted that Louis L'Amour, the famous writer, was a foreigner writing about the American West from the perspective of an outsider. That was his whole deal in the movie. No, he wasn't. He was just like an idiot who believed that for some reason. And I have no idea why. I know it's based on a book. I never read the book. You ever seen that movie? It's actually pretty good. Probably I don't imagine. think so. Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman play uh witch sisters directed by griffin dunn star of who's that girl with madonna he played the love interest he was also uh the other guy in american world in london he was the zombie Mm. who was rotting throughout the course of the movie never mind Mm. anyway we're talking about hellraiser it's not a remake technically because it's not the same story it is a reworking of the original ideas a reboot i don't know what you call it a new hellraiser movie and uh, it's about a lady named Riley. I, you know, I don't know if you know about this, but she was addicted to drugs. She's an addict and uh, she likes pills. Pills to fuck, pills to eat, pills, 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 and a good stiff drink. Well, I watched the movie, so yes, I, I remember that's an important part of the story. She likes pills, Kai. She's she big, likes pills a lot. Big into pills. She has a cantankerous relationship with her brother. They live together along with uh, her brother's boyfriend, who's a nice guy. I like him a lot. Cool guy. And, uh... I guess some other lady is the roommate. Yeah. I don't. I never understood watching the movie whether she was a roommate or she was just a friend who was always around. She was there pretty much the whole time when all of them were together. She was just kind of there. Maybe there was one line where someone said, your roommate. I think Riley was like crashing in the room that she was probably paying for. There had to be something like that going on. Yeah. But they I watched the movie did not, twice. They I did not go over that. Yeah, I did not get that. <laughs> the other thing was she seemed like she was only vaguely connected to these people. She could have been just a really nosy neighbor. Why is she here? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. She's there sometimes and then 
I mean, like, spoiler alert. We're going to spoil the whole movie in case you don't know, dear. If you haven't watched the Hellraiser movie on Hulu and you want to, go watch it now. So, Intimate details. Well, I mean, you know, maybe. <laughs> we may well, gloss over large portions of this. I don't know yet. Well. All the broad strokes are going to be discussed. So the ending will be spoiled. Character fates will be revealed. So if you haven't watched the movie, you don't want it spoiled, just watch it. And if you don't want to watch it fucking cares honestly it, it, who cares anymore it's all content anyway no one's really clamoring to watch the new hellraiser are they are people i mean yes people were excited to watch it it was all over the internet for the first week did you watch hellraiser fuck yeah what was it like i don't remember clive barker was a big fan i guess i don't get that <laughs> i'm a level with you i don't understand why clive barker's watching this and be like yeah i'm in what's happened to you clive barker that you're watching this movie and you're like yeah this is it this is what Hellraiser should be. You've changed. You've changed. You, you've really changed, Clive. You've really changed. I don't, I don't want to be a doubter. I watched it twice, and uh, I wish I'd only watched it once. <laughs> it's about two hours long. It feels like a two-hour-long movie. Yeah. Try to develop her character overly, but in doing so, you never really develop any of the other characters, and they're just people who, like, her brother, he's just supposed to be this, like, loving dude taking care of his junkie sister, but all you ever see him do is yell at her, and then he disappears. You have the dynamic for one scene. That's it. You have one scene where they yell at each other, and then he tells her to get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Because then his disappearance kind of propels the rest of the story along. And that's the thing that gets me. You have a two-hour-long movie, and that you only really have one scene developing the relationship between Riley and her brother. That's all we're given. I guess that's enough. I'm going to say it doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. She's on pills. Especially when she's willing to do all the shit that she's about to do to save him. Yeah. But all we saw was him yelling at her because she's kind of fucked up person and then he disappeared disappeared in a a fucking rest stop bathroom or something taken by the cenobites i guess first off the story begins with a prologue that takes place six years in the past i guess i i know people on the internet reviews say that it's an orgy is it an orgy kai what happens at the beginning it doesn't really feel like much of an orgy to me no it's a party i mean there's a bar and a bartender but there's also a, a mansion full of empty rooms and there's some bed dreams there's such weird shit going on in some of them i didn't really get the orgy vibe from that scene maybe in some of the upstairs bedrooms but the the rest of it was definitely like a fancy masquerade ball kind of party situation i got the vibe that maybe an orgy could break out later yeah not yet late at night but this was still early a pretty boy who's led into the uh display room or whatever the fuck trophy room trophy room right it's set up like a museum style with like pedestals with these strange and rare objects on them among those objects is a box that may be slightly familiar to people who have uh, any familiarity with the hellraiser franchise until you see it up close and you realize hey that's not a box that's not a cube the fuck is that it's like oblong it's got weird things happening to it and a weird rectangle but it's kind of skinny in the middle we're introduced to our i guess who he becomes the story's primary antagonist the guy uh, i think his name is roland voigt Played by Goran Vishnik. He basically tells this guy, hey, pick up that box and fondle it and solve the puzzle. It's really nice. You can hold it. What is it? It's a puzzle. And it's almost finished. Keep going. So if I solve it, do I get a prize? I do. 
the guy solves the puzzle, and then when he does, a little blade pops out and cuts him. That's one of those things that really gets me about this remake. Okay, I'll get into it right now. In the original Hellraiser, we had a box, a puzzle box called the Lament Configuration. That's a fine thing. You solve the puzzle, it basically opens a portal to another dimension where these beings called Cenobites emerge and they take you and horrible things happen. Explorers of the outer reaches of sensation angels to some demons to others. The Lament Configuration in the original Hellraiser series, especially in the first movie, it's shown to be an object sought after by people who are, they feel like they've reached the limits of what they can do. I've had too many orgies. I've done a lot of weird shit in my life. It's not enough anymore. I'm jaded. I need more. I've heard legends about this box when you open it up. (laughs) Horrifying miracles can occur. The legendary box. That's what happens to Frank in the original Hellraiser. He's like, I gotta see what's next. He finds out what's next. He finds out and he regrets that that decision. This one is uh, not kinky like that one at all no which is fine but is it eh. it though i mean that's kind of the whole identity of hellraiser that's something we can discuss with this when we're done with our little synopsis thing because that's a that's a conversation on its own yeah in the original movie we had the lament configuration it's a puzzle box you had to solve the puzzle you get your reward your reward is awful because you're being tortured forever by fucking monsters from hell you don't know that all you know is that oh man i want to fuck forever let's solve the puzzle and then horrible things happen you're like i am fucked up Frank learned that mistake, and that's why he came back and was like, I gotta get the fuck away from these Cenobites. Julia, fucking kill some people, and then let me suck out their souls so I can become me again, so I can get away from these motherfuckers. And they come back for him. It's a whole movie. The Hellraiser, 1987, masterpiece. Beautiful movie. This is not that. This is a completely different animal. For better and for worse. But in this movie, the Lament configuration is one of six configurations of this one greater puzzle box. Yeah, the six configurations on the box are Lament, Lore, Love, sensation, resurrection, and power. The special names. Lament is life. Lore is knowledge. Lauderant is love. Liminal is sensation. Lazarus is resurrection. And Leviathan is power. In the original movie, the Lament configuration was the box. In this version, the Lament configuration is literally one version of the box. There are five others. And as you solve the puzzle, you go through the six stages. Each time, a little blade pops out somewhere on the box and cuts you. And when it cuts you, you're marked. That's it. The Cenobites will come for you. Or whoever you've chosen to be your patsy. I guess that's what Roland Voigt did in the in the yeah. prologue. You can con someone into doing it for you, or trick them, or we also later find out you can just straight up get that blade out and stab someone with it, which seems like a real cop out to me. That was the thing. It, I mean, and that happened like late in the movie. At the beginning, it seems like you kind of have to be part of it. You have to figure out the trick and then you will be sacrificed. Voight tricks this pretty boy into messing with the box. He does so, cuts himself. That's the final configuration, the Leviathan configuration. He's getting dragged off by the Cenobites. You don't see it. You don't see the Cenobites yet. Wisely, you keep them off screen, which is the smart play, while Voight communes with Leviathan and seeks Leviathan's boon. What the fuck did you do? Grant me this audience. Grant me this moon. 
You don't know what happens yet. That's the whole point of the movie. It cuts away six years later. We meet Riley and her dysfunctional chosen family. And look, I'll be honest with you. I don't. I don't give a shit about any of this. This whole dynamic she has going on, it meant nothing to me. I I never connected. I wanted to, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the script, if it was the performances, it was just filler. Hey, here's 20 minutes until something interesting happens. Settle in. Yeah, she gets kicked out of the house because her brother's like, God, you just... You are insufferable. You're exhausting. Get the fuck out. I'm done. She goes to sleep in her car. She takes some pills after she picks him up off the street because she's a junkie. We need to remember, Kai, she's a junkie. We need to know. He takes the pills. He completely glossed over the part where she gets the puzzle box. She has a boyfriend named Trevor. Oh, yeah. The the douchey boyfriend who's also throughout a significant chunk of the movie. But again, you only know him as like the vague enabler. Doesn't have his own place or whatever. He does have his own place. Oh, he does have his own place, but she... It looks like a warehouse. This motherfucker lives in a big place. He's got a pinball machine. That's right. I remember that part. But no one else likes him. Her brother's like, I don't like that guy. With the benefit of hindsight, having watched the movie, we know he's not a good guy. You're 10 minutes into this movie. Why should I hate Trevor? He seems like an okay dude. He said he loved Riley when they were having their brief sex scene. Like, what's the problem? Why does her brother like, I don't like that guy. He had a sixth sense about this thing, Kai. He had a feeling. Riley and her boyfriend, Trevor, he's like, hey, you know, I got screwed over by this rich guy. I want to rob his. What it is is like a fucking uh, a shipping container he's robbed the shipping container because they know there's something really awesome in it come with me we'll, we'll split it they break into the shipping container there's a safe they break into the safe all that's in there is a box a special puzzle box inside of another wooden box inside of a box it's a box inside of a box inside of a box i think inside of a box riley's like oh i want to touch this box i love this boy to touch this box i'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can't and she's everyone like, wants to touch the box she likes the box trevor's like oh, you can hold on to it until i find uh an antiques dealer whatever the fuck trevor who gives a shit about trevor he wants to find somebody to buy the box he's like until we do you can hang on to it afterwards she has a, a big fight the biggest fight she's ever had with her brother gets kicked out of the apartment goes to sleep in her car takes a bunch of pills hallucinates on a merry-go-round while playing with the puzzle box solves the first configuration doesn't cut herself because she misses the blade when it pops out i guess her brother comes out to check on her picks up the box cuts himself and then walks into the restroom and gets taken by the cenobites and it's a whole deal that's what starts our journey down the twisted road that is i don't know hellraiser it's like 25 minutes to get to the to the fucking point of the movie where shit starts happening we could have cut that down to like 10 minutes i swear to god we could have done it and we wouldn't have lost anything substantial it's an hour and seven minutes before we even see i'm not gonna call her pinhead she's not pinhead she's a hell priest that's what she is pinhead was a derogatory term made up by the fans which is fine but she's the hell priest that's what she is so i'm gonna call her the priest but you know we meet her an hour and seven minutes in which is okay the more you show these characters the more you show the set of bites the less impact they will have in the movies and i think honestly overall they showed them a little too much in the final film uh, yeah because up until you know the last probably 30 minutes you just get glimpses of them and at this point riley is just barely getting glimpses of one of them there are Uh i wrote the names down one of them is the weeper that's the one that has the hands that split Mm-hmm. And like we have the gasp, which is the one that talks the most aside from the priest. Save your breath for 
Then we have the Ace Fix. The Ace Fix is the one that has the skin pulled over its body when mm-hmm. it gets caught in the door and pulls its skin off to get to Riley, yeah. which is the cool visual. We have the mask, which is the, the face without a head, like you can see through the eye holes. Yeah. Cool visual again. We have the mother, which I believe, I, I didn't know if like, I got it a good enough look, but I swear she has a visible womb. Like and then we outside. have... And then was the last one, Chatterbox? Then we have the, the Chatterer. And this new Chatterer, uh, awesome. I love that design. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he was definitely creepy. I'll level with you right at the bat. The Cenobite designs in this movie, they're the best Cenobite designs I've ever seen. They were definitely the, fucking cool. The way they reimagine the Cenobites, because, you know, you're not just going to have people in bondage gear anymore. That's old hat. You have to do something new. So the cool idea they came up with is these versions of the Cenobites turn themselves into bondage gear. Like, instead of wearing leather, they've transformed their flesh into the leather, and they've reworked their bodies into these new configurations, like their their ceremonial vestments. That's their flesh now. They've become these horrifying and yet also very aesthetically pleasing designs. It's beauty and the grotesque in one, in a way that they could really only imagine when Clive Barker was making his his first movie. Also with the makeup capabilities. Definitely better techniques these days. If there's one place where this movie definitely shines, it is in the designs and implementation of the, the Cenobites. They, they look amazing. Mm-hmm. Including the priest. I watched a quick YouTube clip earlier that had the actress, what's her name, Lori? The actress who plays the Hell Priest? That's uh-huh. Jamie Clayton. Watched her. It took her four hours to put the makeup on, about an hour to take it off. I love the way they went back to the original Hellbound Heart. They described this Cenobite as being adorned with jeweled pins. Pinhead from the original series those are just nails they did tests when they were making the first film with what looked like jeweled pins but they didn't show up well on camera because they were too thin well they went with the nails it read much better on camera shinier probably yeah these are the uh, classic old grandma like little pearls she had little pearls Mm -hmm. at the end of each pin and you know that design that's instantly iconic greater delights await I don't even know what the fuck you call them. These they look like copper tubes stuck in her throat. Yeah, the, they have a have a similar design. Uh, like that uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Box. That piece she had a ponytail on with that makeup. The prosthetic like wraps around it. That part clips in and actually holds her ponytail to the back of her neck. So I'm sure she was hot as fuck. Eight to ten hours a day. Yeah, I thought that was a cool feature. And then I saw him like snap it around her neck, and I was like, oh, that's like the last piece that held the rest of the costume and the makeup on. That's one of the things that I've always appreciated about the Hellraiser franchise. It is the kinkiest main... I didn't even say... It's not mainstream. It's the kinkiest horror franchise, really. When these characters, the Cenobites themselves, are basically... Clive Barker, one of the titles he came up with as a joke for Hellraiser originally was Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. That Mm -hmm. was a title. That's what they are. The new designs of the Cenobites themselves definitely capture the heart of that in a very interesting manner honestly i think looking at these designs especially when you look at the hell priest and the chatterer looking back at the original designs for those characters from the original hellraiser i don't want to go back to that well there's no point the cenobite designs for this new film no matter what the quality of the film itself the cenobite designs are the best Cenobite designs in a Hellraiser film, period. They're beautiful, sure. they're disgusting, they're grotesque, and they're alluring. The fact that they were able to actually manage that, and they did it so well. Everything else could have been absolute shit, but those designs themselves would have would have become iconic anyway. It didn't matter. They're great designs. And Jamie Clayton, especially as the Hell Priest, she's definitely 
putting in a performance there. Yeah. There's nuance there, which is unexpected. She's got a performance going on as the priest, and it's very interesting. We wish to see you proceed. Was it the Chatterer that got caught in the door? Chatterer is the character that gets stabbed. The first, yeah, okay. The Ace Fix got caught in the That's door. That's the Ace Fix, yeah. The whole point is Riley... She solved the first configuration of the puzzle box. And her brother went as her tribute, essentially. Yeah. By the time she finds it, it's changed configurations to kind of look like a star. It looks like a bit like a star of David, actually. Uh-huh. And so she wakes up from her drug coma on the merry-go-round, and there's blood all over the bathroom. The shit turned into a star, and so she just grabs it and leaves. <laughs> You meet this character earlier in the film during the prologue, an assistant or an associate of Roland Voigt. I guess she's in an old folks home because she's dying of lung cancer. Riley and Trevor visit her and they have this little moment. She's talking about what, who gives a shit? I don't care. Whatever. She dies. She gets, yeah. Uh, See, I, I didn't the even really understand. Her. I was like, why are they talking to this old lady? How did they even find her? The puzzle What's box happening? stabs her. They leave and she gets taken by the Cenobites. She's not a character. She's just there. and She dies. She, she was just away. there to be another death to move it to the next configuration. Right. She was a placeholder. And we had to have her in there because she was in the first scene of the film or whatever. And then, you know what? I don't care. He has a new assistant. Right. Yeah, we'll get to that. Who are the other victims? We have, uh, is it the lady? Is she next? The other roommate? Riley gets stabbed. The hell priest shows up and tells her, you can choose somebody else to take your place. If not you, bring us another. Although I guess when you look at the continuity of the film, she technically counted as the third victim because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Because it's her, there's the roommate, her brother's boyfriend. Her like, brother. Her brother's one. Serena, I think is her name, is two. Mm-hmm. Let's count Riley as three. The roommate is four. The brother's boyfriend is five. Trevor is six. She chose Trevor at the end to be the other victim. So that's still five people. So And Roland doesn't count because Roland didn't get stabbed. The chatterer technically counted as one of the, one of the six. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It makes no sense. He's already a Cenobite. He's already part of it. He shouldn't count. When the chains came for him, I was like, okay, I get it. That's kind of cool. But that's also kind of stupid because they they just took him home. I I will admit it's a cool visual because as soon as the chatterer gets stabbed, he doesn't fight. He just stops. He backs up. Like it, it, It looks like a religious experience for him. He stops, puts his hands out and accepts it but when you think about the context of that scene it doesn't really make sense yeah because aren't they supposed to take the victims for their pain and suffering but he's already already been formed to function on another level if you get to the end of the movie that becomes clear that all the cenobites basically chose leviathan that's the big spoiler is that at the end of the movie it implies that all the cenobites solved the configuration and chose leviathan they chose power and they become the servants of leviathan so they were just victims of the puzzle box they solved it they won and they chose their boon and that was to serve Leviathan. So if, if you've already chosen to serve Leviathan, why would Leviathan tear you apart like that? Why mm-hmm. would that happen? It doesn't really make sense. Yeah. That shouldn't count. They could have added a fucking random hobo on the street. I was thinking about that. I guess he counted. There is no sixth victim, Kai. It's everyone else in the movie. The brother, the boyfriend, the roommate, Trevor, Cenobite. And then it was supposed to be her. Wait, no, no, no. I guess that, like, hang on. There's there's six configurations. It starts at the first. That means you only need to solve the puzzle five times. So never mind. Uh, yeah, That's it five. was already on one. We yeah, weren't starting right. at that zero. We were starting st- at one. You're starting okay. at one. 
I apologize. That's not a plot hole. Okay. You need to solve it five times, not six. The roommate gets to... This is one of the things that bugs me about the puzzle box in this movie. The blade comes out. It pops out like a switchblade when you solve that configuration of the puzzle. Depending on where your hand is on the puzzle box, you will or will not get cut. And if you do get cut, you immediately start to like hallucinate. I don't know if it's literally the, the blade drugs you or if it's just the, the idea... The portal of, is open already. Yeah, the, the portal's opening and it's fucking with you because other people don't don't perceive the portal other people don't perceive it only the person who's afflicted perceives the portal so i don't know if that's what it is it's a change in perception but it definitely tries to emulate the effects of someone on drugs which is part of the addiction metaphor of the film i'm very perturbed by the idea that every time you solve a configuration a fucking knife pops out of the puzzle box there's no reason for that in the original hellraiser in every version of hellraiser you solve the puzzle box and then the Cenobites come. You could have just done that with every configuration of the puzzle box in this version without a fucking knife popping out. I don't get it. It just adds another wrinkle to this story, which is entirely unnecessary because it turns the puzzle into a literal weapon. You could trick somebody into opening the box and solving the puzzle. And that makes you a monster because you forced them to do something and you've made them a victim. That's enough. We don't need the extra bonus of you solve the puzzle, a knife pops out, and you stab somebody with the puzzle knife. If it doesn't poke them, uh, you pick it up and you stab him with it it's an unnecessary aspect to this new lore i don't mind changing the lore i'm okay with i'm perfectly fine with it and overall i think the idea of six configurations allowing the final user to choose their boon from leviathan is a fucking great idea i really like that for sure absolutely i was like oh even if it changes the lore would help explain why whenever xenobite shows up there are these weird twisted freaky perverted kind of creatures because they used to be weird freaky people who went through some serious shit to get this weird power and are now doing whatever the big daddy alien tells them to that's absolutely right because they went through some shit to achieve this this final form my only problem is literally the fact that a knife pops out of the box every time that's it that's literally it i don't need you to literally stab somebody with a knife that comes out of a puzzle box. That's stupid as fuck. Just have them solve the puzzle. That's it. That's all I need. I didn't need this extra element, which is completely unnecessary. That blade was meant for you. It doesn't need to be in a separate continuity technically. According to uh, some of the other media associated with the original Hellraiser, there are different boxes that do different things out yeah. there and this could be one of those boxes you know that's what i was really thinking originally when roland voigt had the box and it looked different i thought oh i wonder if he used that one and then somehow another roots showed up summoned another one found another one and then you find out that it was the same one throughout i was like oh i wonder if each one is linked to like a different greater god or well, set no, of it's, creatures it's all, or... it's all leviathan because and that's the cool thing is leviathan shows up you see leviathan in this movie that big diamond in the sky this movie does not directly contradict the established lore of the early hellraiser films so technically this could exist in the same continuity if they wanted to go that way in a sequel in the third act it shows Voigt's mansion in the labyrinth it looks so much like the labyrinth established in hellraiser 2 Mm -hmm. and and you see leviathan hovering over the mansion and it looks like leviathan from hellraiser 2 this does not contradict the established lore that's so cool it looks so cool 
Yeah. There's so many aspects of this movie that I genuinely enjoy. They kind of go big with a mm-hmm. lot of it. I, more than I expected. I thought this was going to be a real cheap looking movie, but it's not. It is Just... It is definitely not. No, I, I, I was continually uh, pleased by all of the uh, production it was everything was very well done like that mansion like you said inside and out really fucking cool and interesting and weird looking and then you find well, out later although it's got all these kind of weird walkways because these gates close which yeah, turns into a whole 20 minute thing that was totally unnecessary yeah 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 although to be fair i'm pretty sure that was an existing location they shot the film in serbia uh-huh. i think a lot of it was existing locations but it looks good whether or not they made it i don't give a fuck it looks good and you have chosen your suffering when they when they go to void's mansion and they see like this weird metal cage built around it i was wondering if they were ever going to explain that the design of the cage had something to do with how it could repel the cenobites but they never explained that he said he was going to keep him prisoner there until the god showed up to give him what he wanted i'm looking at the design of the cage and i don't see any special wards or glyphs etched into mm-hmm. the metal i just see a cage built around a big house and it, it worked it kept them out it worked but how the cenobites are not bound by the laws of nature how are they, they can stuck by transport through dimensions so one would assume they could just but apparently that configuration of the house was able to keep them out we get to the point where i don't even remember i'm gonna i have to look up her name oh god what is her roommate number one her name is nora the actress who plays nora heinz a-O-I-F. Uh, she gets trapped behind a, a secret door in Voight's mansion. This is a spoiler because we don't see him yet, but Voight stabs her in the back with the puzzle box because, once again, the puzzle box is also a switchblade. Voight, in, in the darkness, stabs her in the back with the puzzle box, and the puzzle box stays embedded in her back. It's just there until Riley pulls it out, I think. So now she's marked. And they're driving around in a van, trying to find a way out, but they can't. One of those cool moments when you see... Oh, yeah, this uh, scene was pretty cool. The door to hell opens up. Wherever you are, a wall peels back and the Cenobites can emerge. In this version, when they're driving around in a van, trying to find a way out, when they're driving and they turn around, you see, like, a hole open up in the road. As they were driving, you could see a portal starting to open, but they got too far away. And so then they eventually figured out that they had to go way ahead of it. Yeah, but hell keeps trying to catch up with them oh shit they're the other going the other way now fuck i gotta catch up i thought that was actually kind of funny you know what let's just open a portal in the fucking van and so they do hell opens the portal in the van there's that cool moment when you see the character i think her name is nora lying down fucked up on the in the back of the van and then they just kind of fade to black and here's the cool thing. I did not know this until I looked it up after the fact. That's a practical effect. That's cool. I, I thought it was digital. They could have just done it digital. I wouldn't have known, but it looks so good. One of them turns around, and then you just catch a glimpse of hell, and then there's just a blood splatter left. <laughs> yeah, that's all that's left. This is the first scene where we get a real good look at our new hell priest. This is the one. We have a good monologue. And Nora gets attacked by the chains and she's suspended in air in a very uncomfortable position the hell priest looks at her and she notices that Nora's praying what is it you pray for what is it you pray for. This is the only point in the film, in my opinion, where it really feels like Hellraiser. <laughs> what did it feel like? A joyful note without change. Without end. Heaven. Death. 
And then she pulls that pin out of her forehead and slowly pushes it into her throat. Pushes it right into her voice box and then moves it just a little bit. So that when she screams, the pitch of her scream changes to an unnatural degree. Oh man, she's making a symphony. There is so much more the body can be made to feel. And you'll feel it all before we're through. Twists it back in. Twists it a little bit. A new pitch in the voice when she screams. That's it. That's Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect. This is another thing. Jamie Clayton, the way she portrays the priest, especially in this scene, is pitch perfect. Her performance right there, you can see it if you just look at her face during this scene. There is pleasure on her face when she's doing this, when she's hurting this mm-hmm. character. She's enjoying what she's doing. She loves her work. Yeah, with those terrifying eyes. They're not just black. Doug Bradley's eyes were always just black lenses. That's all they were. Her eyes, she's got these gray irises suspended in the black just the design of the hell priest the way they took that grid pattern on her face and changed it just subtly on her cheeks and the sides of her head you get Mm -hmm. this like this sweeping s pattern they really thought about shit i think jamie clayton does a great job as the character i think the makeup is awesome the way they change her voice in post-production they're not going for the doug bradley thing she maintains a feminine voice you can hear the feminine quality of her voice it's just removed enough that it sounds otherworldly and bizarre they don't go too far it's subtle but i think it works very well and that scene especially that scene gave me goosebumps i fucking loved it that was the coolest fucking scene of that whole movie because that was yeah, that was hell definitely that was it she was getting turned on torturing this poor girl she enjoyed what she was doing a little too much that's what i want from a hellraiser movie and I guess I got it, so I can't complain. But after that, they reveal that Trevor has been working for Voight this whole time. Which, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but why the fuck would Voight hide the puzzle box in a safe inside of a fucking shipping crate? That was another weird conflicting thing, because if Trevor was... Spoilers... If Trevor was secretly working for Voight the whole time, which he was. Why wouldn't he have been just like, hey, check out this cool box I've got in my house. I swiped this on a thing. And that's it. That's all you have to do. You don't have to go through this whole yeah. role of a fake a fake heist. Especially, you know? especially if she's like your recovering junkie girlfriend. You don't need to go through those links to convince her. She's not like your police officer detective ex-girlfriend. No. You know, she, she's... she's the... she, she already likes shiny objects. Just have that in your fucking big apartment. And she's like, what? She would have been drawn right like, to it. Oh man, just this cool box I found. Oh, well, you from some oh, dealer. You like it? Yeah, you can hang on to it for now. I don't care. That's all you have to do. You don't have to go through this whole bullshit fake heist. It's stupid. It just adds more complications and more time to a movie that didn't need to be this long. There's yeah. no point to this. There's no good point to that whole subplot. It doesn't make any sense. You can have Trevor be Roland Voigt's patsy. That's fine. But you didn't need to have the whole fake heist. That was bullshit. That was unnecessary. Yeah. Another like 10 minutes that could have just been she found it in a drawer and he was like oh my grandpa left me that which would have been a total lie and then it it would have been that easy he could have given it to her as a gift it's beautiful it reminds me of you i think it's a puzzle wink 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 whatever who fucking cares explores in the further regions of experience 
Sensations, Rim. In the third act, we learn Roland Voigt, who disappeared six years ago, assumed dead. Turns out he's been alive the whole time. He's been in seclusion because when the poor pretty boy solved the puzzle, Voigt asked for a boon from Leviathan. And the boon he asked for was sensation. Because Roland Voigt is a, I guess he was a pervert. He thought, you know Mm -hmm. what? I've had so much sex. It's meaningless to me now. I need more. Leviathan will give me more. I want the ultimate sensation from you, Leviathan. And Leviathan jammed like a copper box or a copper thing. Some some kind of cool um, steampunk Cenobite tech. Into his chest. It almost looked like a key that had been stabbed through him, like a wind-up key. Well, it unlocks something within Mm -hmm. him. It does. So that it is a key. What it does, I guess his nerve endings are are wrapped around it. He basically explains it as it unwound his nervous system and then wound itself through it. It's constantly moving. It moves at such a point where he's never able to get used to it. He never grows numb to the sensation. So he's in constant agony gears crank and they literally grind his nerves it's a cool visual he spent six years in constant agony our gifts are boundless this is where it falls apart for me he spent Mm -hmm. six years in constant agony and it's taken him this long to get to a point where he's able to get somebody else to fuck with the puzzle box six years Uh really not not like not like a week yeah really that was somebody start fucking with that box not six fucking years hiding in fucking corridors in your house my mind kind of wandered to, um, it was that easy for him to find this box twice and use it twice to summon a fucking god. Like, it seemed to be really easy, even if it took six years. But they don't explain what happened in those six years. You just assume he had the box the whole time. Right. So if that's the case, why the fuck did he wait six years to get somebody else to start fucking with that box? Uh-huh. Unless there's some cut scene where he's trying to get Trevor to go find something. And when they break into that safe, they're actually stealing it for him because he lost it. You know what I mean? They, they don't explain that. But they don't explain any of that. So at that point, when you find out that Trevor is actually working with Roland, you have to assume they placed that there right. and took her there. Six years later. Even though he could have just literally just taken it and run down the street and started stabbing people and then just ran back <laughs> right. to his mansion. Based on all the information we're provided in the film, as far as we know, Roland Voigt had control of the box for the past six years and he didn't do anything with it. The suppositions we make based on what we've seen in the film, Voigt had the box for six years and did nothing with it, which makes no fucking sense. Once a threshold has been crossed, all you can do is search for greater thresholds. We're there. We're, we're at the climax of the film, Kai. But when they finally get to his house, they have to, um, wait, is that where the Cenobites are outside and they have to get in? No, that's, that's, that, that's, that's later. They, they lock it down. He locks Chatter it down. Which, and they lock it down. Which locks them out magically, which we don't know how. We don't know. But you know what? I'll give the movie the benefit of the doubt there. I will. Yeah. Whatever configuration... There's some runes. There's Voight some configurations. Created. Yeah, whatever he did there, I'm okay with that. Because this motherfucker had to play it. Is that what the six years was doing? He had to build that fucking thing? Maybe yeah, that's what it was. Because that cage wasn't around his house six years ago. Because it wasn't there. Maybe he was doing it by himself. No one had seen him. You know what I mean? Maybe he took no up knows. welding. We don't know. He may, he may be a skilled craftsman. Remarkable. All this... All for us. The truth has been revealed. Voight is alive. He's been pulling the strings from behind the scenes to get the final configuration so he can ask the Cenobites to take back their gift. Gifts cannot be ungiven. 
Only exchanges can be made. And he's miserable and he wants it to stop. That's all he wants. They even showed like in a flashback, I think, of him with like a pry bar trying to like pry the pieces out no, of him. Like, he's got a he's got a pair of a pair of scissors trying to cut his Oh, like, he's trying to cut the nerves off. and then it just like rewound itself. As soon as the blades of the scissors touch the nerves, it's so sensitive he can't cut it. Oh yeah, that's right. We show that part during his flashback when he's explaining the whole plot what, of the what's fucking happening. Movie. Yeah. You could have cut half of this other shit out. Because he you explains don't. it all at the end anyways. He explains all that anyway. At this point, everybody's dead. The, everybody's the dead fucking hell their... priest is sitting outside of the mansion. Just waiting for whatever to happen. Then let us in to address your displeasure. Patience is a virtue. The priest has learned this virtue over however many centuries or years or whatever. She's patient. She knows what she's doing. She's waiting. She's got all the time in the world. She doesn't care. It'll all happen in its own time. The Cenobites are patient in this movie. They don't give a fuck. That's the thing about the Cenobites in this movie that I appreciate over the original movie. In the Hellbound Heart, the Cenobites make a deal with Kirstie to take Frank instead of her when she solves the box. In the end of the story, they do just that. They take Frank and leave her alone. They made a bargain and they keep their word. In the movie, this is something Clive Barker had to deal with the producers. The producers wanted a more action-based climax and and so I think Clive Barker rewrote his script so that the Cenobites reneged on the deal. After they got Frank, they came after Kirsty, And so mm-hmm. she had to use the puzzle box to kill them, which made the action climax. It makes no fucking sense. I guess there's more action in the film. And I feel like Clive Barker should have fought harder for that. But it was his first movie and he made some concessions he otherwise may not have. It changes the entire complexion of the film, that last act. This movie sticks more to its guns and shows the Cenobites as creatures of their word. They act within the parameters of their mandate. Stick to their word. They don't break their word. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Which is the only way that um, the main character, Riley, is really alive. Because there's like two times she really should have been the one. Because she was the one who solved the puzzle. Oh, and then that's the, the thing that interests me. I watched the movie again. And I got the impression watching the movie that the Hell Priest had taken kind of a liking to Riley. Mm-hmm. And so that's why she gives Riley a little slack. Goading her on to become one of them. I didn't get that the first time around. I thought this was just like part of the deal. But watching it the second time, I was like, wait, no, 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 no. She's picking favorites. Let's see what you can do if I let you have a second chance to pick another victim. Let's see what you can do. And that's what I thought was really cool watching it the second time around because I was like, wait, there's more dimensions to this than I thought the first time. Because if I if we'd had this conversation after the first time I watched the movie, I would have been much more negative on it. But watching it the second time, I was like, wait, there's a mythology here. And there are characterizations here that I missed the first time around. That second time gave me a different perspective, yeah, especially I... regarding the Hell Priest. She wants Riley to succeed. Her brother's ending was exquisite. Would it bring you comfort to see him again? Two more, and he is yours. I guess I can mention now, the way the film ends, Roland is technically given his second chance, and Riley has her choice to make. When she kills Trevor at the end, she kills the fifth victim and is able to claim her boon from Leviathan. Roland, I th- he literally begs to die, which I like. I don't want it anymore. Just let me die, I'm begging you. Just let me die. The Hell Priest looks at Roland. She basically says, we had you pegged all wrong the first time around. We thought you were just some kind of garden variety pervert. But it turns out you don't want sensation. Maybe you want power. Perhaps you prefer another. Anything is better than this. Perhaps we were wrong. 
about you. You've never sought sensation your whole life. Every conquest, all your pleasures lie in power. Power. For your efforts, we offer the Leviathan configuration. And then that fucking giant chain comes out from the ceiling, embeds itself in Roland's chest, reels him in like a fish. Leviathan is suspended over that window. And that's Leviathan's chain. That's Leviathan Mm -hmm. taking him in. The moment when that happens, that's the hell priest saying, we thought you were a sub. But you're a dom. That's the SM coming in hard. You want to be part of the fucking clique. Leviathan pulls up and says, you know what? I'm going to remake you in my image. To replace the chatterer. The ending of the film, Riley has her chance to pick a boon from Leviathan. You're thinking she's going to pick resurrection. She wants her brother back. But she's finally achieved a sense of, I guess, maturity. Roland says earlier in the film, the Cenobites are tricksters. He chose sensation because he thought, I get to fuck forever. He wanted ultimate pleasure and they gave him instead some kind of copper monstrosity in his chest that fucked with his nerve endings forever gave him ultimate sensation forever yeah that's that's my point he thought they were tricking him the problem is the boon was not pleasure the boon was sensation this motherfucker didn't read to be his it's kind of like a like a genie's wish you got to make sure your wording is very specific and you really need to ask some questions (laughs) it's the monkey's paw he wanted pleasure he saw sensation and made a connection where a connection did not exist the Cenobites they didn't trick him they gave him what he asked for they just didn't give him what he wanted he got Mm -hmm. sensation he got ultimate sensation six years of ultimate sensation they didn't trick him I almost felt like pay attention they were almost like proud he was somehow still alive at this point and they're like hey you made it you know what I think we were wrong about you they made him a Cenobite so you know they turned around our power lies in dominance in the sovereignty of anguish and now, it will be yours to wield. You will know our finest gift. Oh, yes. We have such sights to show you. He tells Riley that they're liars. They're not liars. They didn't promise pleasure. They promised sensation. That's exactly what they gave him. And that's one of the reasons why I appreciate that when Riley is able to make her choice at the end, she's thinking, well, resurrection, let's think about that. What am I going to get back? Am I really going to get my brother? Probably not. Yeah, after seeing Roland in that situation, she knew, oh, it may be my brother and he's going to have some giant brass fucking key sticking out of his chest, half demon. Yes not going to be your fucking brother at that point they've ripped him to shreds by (laughs) these fuckers aren't about pleasure for them pleasure and pain are one there's no difference anymore for the cenobites sensation is the only thing that matters they don't give a shit about an orgasm that's not a thing for them anymore you're the guy who just wants to come they don't come anymore sensation for them is about the destruction of the soul that's a completely different ball game and you want to get in on that we can have a conversation about that and that's exactly what they do but for riley she makes the only choice that makes sense to her in the end she chooses not to make a choice and this is the part that i think is kind of brilliant in the end that choice no choice is the lament configuration she chooses to live with the pain and the guilt of her decisions which is the only true mature choice and this is the key pay attention if you're watching this movie pay attention to the priest's face when she says this to riley a life of regret knowing everything you've done everyone you've hurt and lost you choose to live to carry that weight 
You have chosen the lament configuration. When she speaks, she is, I don't want to say in awe of Riley's decision, but she is absolutely respectful of it. Mm-hmm. She, she looks at Riley and with the tone of her voice, like, you are a badass in my book. And then they just disappear. That's the only thing they could do at that point. You've chosen uh-huh. to live with the consequences of your actions. Wow. Fucking right. A. Fair play to you. I wasn't expecting that, but then when you hear her say, you choose to live. Oh, man. For all of the problems I have with this movie, for all of its faults, that final act right there is absolutely perfect. Yeah, that kept me, uh, the ending, I would say, kept me in the kind of conflicted whether I really liked this movie or whether I thought it was boring. Because there are some times where it's like, eh, not necessarily boring, but it's like, why are we doing this? You don't have to be doing this. It's the payoff. It had a it had a good payoff, yeah. It fits so thematically perfectly, and I, I love it. I, I have issues with this movie as a whole, but man, yeah. that, that last moment. And then when she's in the car, because the only survivors at this point are Riley and her brother's boyfriend. Her brother's like, boyfriend, right. And he's looking at her in that, car, in that van. He says, did you make the right choice? And we cut away before she says anything. It doesn't matter. She's going to be dealing with this pain and guilt forever. That's the point. That's real humanity right there. Anyone who's had to deal with anything in their life. I'm not saying you have to deal with a situation when you have to, oh, did I condemn somebody to hell by stabbing them with a puzzle box? No, 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 not like that. I mean, literally any situation where you've had to make a choice that weighs heavily upon you. It can translate perfectly to that. That's your lament configuration. You have to deal with the consequences of your actions. The one thing about the ending that I was questioning, and this was more about if the box stayed with Roland Voigt, they just get in the car and drive away, which means hypothetically, the box should still be just sitting there if the box doesn't disappear then it's still there but there's no like showing it turning into the limit configuration no we don't see that which i think would have been a cool like ending just in like a a weird black room and you just see like a hand pick it up well see that's one of the things that like in the original hellraiser they solved that problem because the fucking monster demon skeleton thing picks up the box and carries it away and flies off and then at the end of the movie you see another character in like some weird far-flung location find the box you hear the voice say so there we go. We understand mm-hmm. what's happened. The box has found another home. Yeah. In this movie, you're like, well, the box is still there, is it? it I don't know. Does it just stay there? I don't we know. have no idea. The movie doesn't care to answer that question, Kai. But the movie right. does and care again, to answer one question, Kai. What's that? And that question is, what happens to Roland Voigt oh, after yeah. he gets reeled in by the Leviathan chain? This is the thing that really turned me around in the movie. I'm not the biggest fan of this movie, but this last scene really hit me. We are introduced to a scene, I guess it's a mid credit scene, technically. I'm watching this movie in the dark. It's pitch black, aside from the TV. And suddenly, bam, radiant light hits my fucking eyes. I'm fucking, I'm almost disoriented because the movie's been so murky and dark before this point that when this radiant light hits me, I'm almost discombobulated. Like, what the fuck? What? I was expecting credits. And then this happens. If you look at the rating for the movie, it's rated R. One of the reasons why it's rated r is called graphic nudity now my first thought when i'm thinking graphic nudity it's always a dick okay it's always a dick and so this whole time i'm watching the movie when's the dick gonna show up during this last scene the camera pans over the naked body of Roland Voigt. you see his dick so there it is there's your graphic nudity we see his dick and his balls his flaccid cock he's suspended in this radiant white light on this bizarre table gurney configuration he's becoming a cinnabite leviathan is reshaping his skin's kind of doing this weird colory dance and then turning into kind of gray blue. And there's that moment when you see his eyes, he's in such pain. 
then you see his eyes switch from normal to like that black the gray iris i swear there's a kind of sound you hear the the switch flip and he suddenly he's a centibite it makes it a little too easy honestly i understand it as a form of shorthand for cinema now he's a centibite but in terms of character a switch flips and now he's a centibite it's like eh, it's a little too simple but in terms of the way that it's presented like as a form of shorthand sure now he's a centibite if you've watched hellbound hellraiser 2 you see the transformation of the captain spencer into pinhead it happens in darkness it's shrouded in shadows and it's very sinister looking when you see roland voigt become a cenobite at the end of this movie all of it occurs in radiant light that's a really interesting juxtaposition because you think of leviathan when you think of hellraiser you think of hellraiser it's evil it's hell it's darkness roland voigt is transformed into a cenobite in the bowels of leviathan and what is leviathan inside he is light he's a different kind of light and I think that's really interesting because he's not pitch black darkness. He's not a void. The interior of Leviathan is light. I don't know what that's trying to say, but I think that's fucking fascinating. Yeah, that is Just cool. the implication of that. What is Leviathan? Leviathan is a blinding light. That's cool. Our God awaits. We've reached the end of the movie. It's it's not bad. It's not great. It would definitely be good. It's got some interesting elements to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. None of it is like a um, throwback homage. I no. don't think at all. It's all cool and different and original. But it's just parts of the storytelling or maybe the writing. I'm not sure. I'm not a professional critic enough to be able to dissect. I'd have to watch it five times and then I could tell you, you know what? It's the writing or whatever. But there's just something that makes it not complete but it has little pieces that kept me going oh shit that's cool the whole time oh shit that was weird you get those breadcrumbs to string you along thinking it's gonna add up Mm -hmm. to more than the sum of its parts then when it's finished really wait was that it the knife pops out and doesn't stab the person but then they know what to do with it and it's like oh well that adds a whole new layer of what they have to do with this now it becomes a murder weapon that's dumb as hell and and that part i know (laughs) i did not to bring the part that you fucking hate up but (laughs) why did they do that that i was like well i'm okay with the idea of using if there are different configurations that add up to the whole trick different people into solving those configurations for you don't turn it into a literal fucking knife that you stab people with yeah unless unless one configuration requires that you know what i mean but it it didn't require it though it didn't it never did it just like you said unless there's a bunch of different types of boxes that are yeah, linked yeah. to different hell priests or whatever, we don't however you, however, whatever kind of world, however you want to place that in their world here. Yeah, we don't know about that. We just know that a switchblade no. pops out and right. you need to be, make sure your hand isn't on it. You don't know where your hand is supposed to be. That's the point. How do you know if you've never solved the puzzle and it, before? Because it you comes know. out of the middle in one and then out of the end in the other. It's, it's tricky. It's a stupid it's, wrinkle. They didn't need to put it in the movie. Enough is a myth. My major issue with this movie is that it's not kinky enough. Well, yeah. I'm going to get to a larger point here. In cinema in general, the element of the erotic is almost entirely missing. Even if you watch a Marvel movie, no one's fucking in that movie. You don't get the idea. I'm not saying I need to have hardcore sex in the Eternals. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you don't get the impression that anybody even understands Mm -hmm. what sex is in these movies. You don't see anyone having sex in Top Gun, but there's some hot, steamy shit that you you know it's about to happen. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of sex. Actually, I guess there, yeah, there are some shadow yeah, sex. They're, they're have, Kelly McGillis, there's some sex happening. Yeah. It seems as though modern movies have drifted away from the erotic in general to a point where I feel like it's at a detriment. If I had to pick I think... one or the other in terms of sex over violence, I would pick sex because I think there's much more 
you can do with sex as a plot device other than violence. I'm not a gore hound. I don't mind gore in movies. I never have. I would much prefer an exploration of the erotic in terms of horror than of just pure violence or gore. I don't need that anymore. That's one of the things I've always liked about Hellraiser as a franchise. I'm not going to say it's reveled in the erotic, but the kinkiness, inherent eroticism of the subject has always been there. Even in like the shitty sequels, there's always been a slight kink to it. And this movie decides right off the bat, we have a sex scene. Yeah, and, and that, that gave me hope. Because that's right at the beginning, and then that is it. Not a impl- drop. The character of Roland Void implies that he's become so bored by traditional sex that his only out now is to summon interdimensional monsters to to give him the ultimate sensation but we never feel that like we said earlier it was it an orgy uh... the movie pays lip service to the kink but it never actually does anything with it it just goes in its own direction and honestly i feel like that is to the film's ultimate detriment the great gulf between hellraiser and the rest of horror cinema has always been the eroticism if you watch the original hellraiser frank is erotic he's a character who's literally looking for the next sexual frontier when he stumbles upon the nightmare that is the cinebite's domain julia as a character loses herself entirely in frank's orbit because she is obsessed and consumed by him at the expense of everything else. She murders multiple people because of the idea of more sexual conquests with this nightmarish character named Frank. She destroys herself because she wants more. There is so much going on in terms of pure kink in that movie. And this movie is absolutely not interested in any of that. It has this addiction metaphor, which is so heavy-handed. Here's the thing that kills me. Riley's an addict, right? The puzzle box is a metaphor for her addiction. Is it, though, really, if you break this plot down, is it she doesn't want anything to do with this fucking puzzle box? And that's it. She never wants to do this. It's never a a mention of, oh, she's so tempted by the idea moving forward, the seduction of the Cenobites, right? It was purely to save her brother. If they wanted to make an addiction metaphor with this movie right here's what they should have done riley as a character could have been an addict have her as a character being and this adds the extra layer of kink have her be a character who's she likes to fuck she likes to have a good time clashed with her brother for years about this because maybe her brother's a bit of a prude she's bored with the way things are going she wants something new she finds something on the internet maybe i don't know maybe it's the internet maybe it's something someone tells her new sexual physical sensation and so she tries to go down this route she finds a box and she falls down this path there's a cult there's like real esoteric shit surrounding this puzzle box this configuration there's something happening maybe she doesn't believe in it but she starts down this path because she wants something new something different something taboo this does not portray the plot of the film as it exists the first victim she never sees anything she learns about this on the news after the fact that could be a coincidence second time she starts to draw a connection but here's the thing she's addicted to the sensation maybe she doesn't want to stop maybe it doesn't matter enough maybe she believes in it but also maybe she doesn't fucking care because she's enjoying herself too much that brings her into direct conflict with her brother there reaches a point when she knows for a fact, what she's doing is killing other people, but she's enjoying it. That's the plight of the addict. She wants to stop, but she's enjoying it so much she can't stop. She's because she's fucking addicted to the sensation. Right. You can have the metaphor for the literal addict, and then at the end, she has to make a very, very tough choice. 
She's gone so far, she knows she's responsible for killing people. She's condemned at least four or five lives at this point. So some kind of hell. This is when she realizes her brother has not just been a dick because he's just a hard ass. No, he loves her. And he's looking out for her, for her well-being. And all he wants is what's best for her. And she's at this point when she has a choice to make. Does she go down this final corner and become irredeemable? Does she take that final victim and destroy herself, join with these Cenobites, or does she turn her back on this entire endeavor and go with her brother and live a normal human life? She kills one more person. She's too far gone. That's what makes it a tragedy. And the movie ends with her brother trying to decide whether or not, because the box is right there, do I try to figure out a way to contact her, to try to bring her back, or do I move on with my life? And then you're left with that heavy choice. What does he do? That's, you, that's what I thought eventually was going to happen. Right. I thought that's I my thought point. it was going to be some way she swaps herself for him, but because the priest liked her, that she's going to turn her into one of them or something. Turn the movie into a genuine tragedy where it's, it actually hurts you as a viewer. It breaks your heart to watch her because she's so far gone. She can only make this choice. She can only choose darkness, even though you know there's another option, but she can't see that option. The brother is left traumatized he sees what's happened and that leaves it open for potentially a sequel because he knows maybe i can bring her back if i try hard enough but we don't yeah. answer like we don't answer that question because we're not going to make a sequel to this movie if they made a sequel to this one it would i don't know why it would involve her finding the box and trying to destroy roland uh, boy or some weird shit the weird uh, thing is he's not her adversary no he's trevor not. was the one who was addicted to her he's dead and this dude's gone so now she's she's just like done with yeah. the whole thing so I assume she wouldn't be part of it, or maybe you would see Roland Voigt in a later one yeah, as well, see, Cenobite, that, and they that's just the say anything about yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know. You cannot follow Riley as a character in a direct sequel to this Hellraiser uh-huh. and make it a worthwhile movie. It's, yeah, it's not it, going it, to work. It would be making her an action hero. That's it's what not, always yeah, happens right. in these things. It's when you have a character work. who goes through the transformative process... And then they come out like the bigger person on the other side. She's chosen the lament configuration. She's chosen to live with the Whatever consequences they do of her gonna, actions. Is going to inevitably shit on that decision, right? If her and the Cenobites are involved, then that decision didn't fucking matter at right. some level. Have different characters find the goddamn box. That's literally mm-hmm. all you have to maybe, do. Maybe, maybe she's the crazy person that they take the box to, and she's like, "Oh my god, you have no idea what you've done." If you, right. did, if you brought her back as that kind of character, that'd be one thing. They turn Riley into a literal addict and then have her deal with the addict bullshit with the box. And you know what? It doesn't really work because the character never seems particularly interested in the box. That was the other weird thing is like, she's technically the one who opens the box and summons a god to earth, but she was barely involved. It's it's kind of a weird, I don't know how to explain it. She was the main protagonist. No, that was it. She was barely involved. That's literally But she was barely involved in the point because in the end it's all about roland i understand he was using her to do that but her struggle ended up not being a big part of the conclusion just because it involved him and then it was just over for her it's the human condition kai i don't know if you understand that it's the human condition i mean i mean the movie's not trying to be subtle except roland you know what in the end i think roland got exactly what he wanted Mm-hmm. He, he he got did. what he asked for, which wasn't what he really wanted. But you know, and then he it, got what he wanted. If they do make a sequel and they do show his character as a Cenobite, I think he'll be pretty happy with the way things have turned out. Yeah, much better than wanted. having your nerves wound through a loom every five seconds. 
That makes me wonder about the different aspects of the, the puzzle box. One of the configurations you could have chosen as your boon is love. What kind of love does that mean? We, oh, again, dude, you just found her story. She's got to use the love configuration because she's not an addict. Now she needs to find that's love. My point. That's what they'll do. I wonder, I wonder what they meant because we have uh, life, which is lament. We have lore. We have love, sensation, resurrection, resurrection. power. I wonder what you could do to twist love and lore. What is love to a dark god like Leviathan? What is that? Yeah. Now, is knowledge of first-hand knowledge? Like, I will turn you into a centibite let you understand the knowledge of pain? That is sounds that they like what, the, what their definition would be. But what is love? I want to know what love is. Do you know what it can offer? Let's say a guy goes in with this whole puzzle box thing, kills a few victims, meets the centibites. Let's say this guy has an attraction to the hell priest. For example, this oh, guy is lusty for the hell priest. That hell priest is the most gorgeous creature I've ever seen. Oh, in my life. you know, maybe he starts out doing one thing, writing our own story now. We will not be denied. That's the killer for me. This movie looks so visually anonymous. There's no real interesting visual hook to any of it. It's just there. That background does kind of make the Cenobites really stand out when they do show up because right. everything's just kind of bland and then this fucking creature with a peeled back face walks out of a room. Just another flat angle when the mask shows up. Come on, give me something. Don't give me nothing. The movie looks exactly the same when the Cenobites show up as it does when they're not there. When the Cenobites show up, you're literally summoning creatures from a different dimension. The movie is still fucking gray when they show up. Occasionally you see that door frame kind of expands backwards and the chains just kind of come out of the bland bathroom yeah, like, stall. Oh my god, chains, Kai. Chains showed up, Kai. Can you believe it? Chains. The Hellraiser movie. Bullshit. For the, for the first time, chains. I Always with these fucking chains. Yeah, they drag you to hell. Congratulations. I mean, I, I'd always assume wherever it was they were taking you is not, not a great place. I don't but, know. Uh, if you watch the original Hellraiser, you can feel the texture of that film. There's it's a like a weird, of, gritty 80s film. There's, kind of, a, sure. there's like a grind there there's a there's a film of filth it feels taboo and weird and wrong when you're watching this movie it's just a movie mm -hmm. you're just watching a movie that sequence when frank is resurrected larry cuts his hand on that nail and the blood spills on the ground frank as this creature protrudes from the boards and screams in pain it's such a memorable sequence it sticks to you forever there is nothing like that in this movie nothing even tries to come close to it there's no king yeah there's no real sexuality the movie plays lip service to it people are fucking right there now it's over move on mm -hmm. the main character having sex was like okay let's talk to and then and then it ditches everything right there everything i almost wonder they probably only included that as an homage it was original have a little sex in there the rest of the movie is about something else entirely well you know what you fucked up because hellraiser is fucking kinky as hell you fucked up i'm sorry even when roland is all about pleasure his, what he thinks is pleasure again you never really he, see any of that either he tells you but you don't uh -huh. feel it you never feel it you're mm -hmm. not giving us anything. You're just telling us something. It doesn't feel right. This movie is not bad. It's not a failure. But in terms of that, you fucked it up. Even the last Hellraiser movie that was made by Dimension Films to try to keep the rights to the franchise, Hellraiser Judgment, directed by Gary Tunnicliffe, he understood the core of Hellraiser. There was an erotic core to that franchise. He interwove it into that film. It's got 
some boring spots in it. But here's the thing. That movie was made with a shoestring budget. It had no money behind it. Gary Tunnicliffe, if he had the money, he would have interwoven that shit with so much weird imagery. It would have made your head spin. He didn't have that luxury. They would have doubled down on it instead of pulled back. He would have quadrupled down on it. (laughs) This motherfucker knew what Hellraiser was and tried his level best, considering he had a budget of zero money, to make Mm -hmm. that movie. This movie had a budget, I'm going to say it probably had a $20 million budget plus. More than that, maybe. And this guy, David Bruckner, he made a movie that basically ignored the inherent eroticism of the franchise to follow his own ridiculous muse. And I think he was maybe half successful at best. A lot of people have said this might be the second best Hellraiser movie. Maybe the third, maybe the second. It might be better than Hellbound, but it's in the top three. I would personally argue this is maybe I would put Hellraiser above this. Hellraiser 2. I would put Bloodline, Hellraiser 4. I put that above this. I put Hellraiser Inferno above this. I put Hellraiser Judgment above this. That's four Hellraiser movies above this. This might be the fifth best Hellraiser movie. And I know that's going to be a very unpopular decision among a lot of people. But you know what? This is the hill I'll die on. Because this movie ignores a key component of the Hellraiser franchise, which is the inherent eroticism. This movie throws that shit out the window because it wants to go its own route and its own route is kind of boring. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I don't think this movie is a failure. I just think it's not as effective as half of the Hellraiser movies that exist. It's good. It's got the best Cenobite designs ever, but is it an effective Hellraiser movie? 50%. What would you ask of us? That's it. That's that's my opinion, Kyle. I don't know. What's your opinion? I know you haven't seen all the Hellraiser movies. I don't care. That's not um, the point. It's been a long time since I've seen any of them. I don't know that I could even compare them. But I do agree that that is a fairly important point of the entire Hellraiser. I have so... to emphasize that. There's so little eroticism in modern cinema. The mm-hmm. fact that one of the most inherently erotic and kinky franchises in horror cinema has been effectively removed from its eroticism. That feels like a crime to me. I'm sorry if maybe people don't get turned. Mean, that's not the fucking point. This isn't porno. This isn't supposed to make you fucking hard. The whole point is that this is supposed to get you thinking. This is supposed to get your mind working. It's not about a turn on. People confuse porno with eroticism. They're not the same fucking thing. I'm sorry. They're not the same thing. I'm going to take Hellraiser in a completely different direction. Just make a different franchise. David Bruckner, you made a few good movies, but you fucked up here. I'm sorry. You fucked up. I know it's going to be an unpopular opinion for certain people, but eroticism and pornography are literally not the same thing. Eroticism and horror is not pornography. I want eroticism in a Hellraiser movie. It's got the trappings, the visual trappings of Hellraiser, but this is not Hellraiser. This is a different thing. I would still appreciate a sequel to this movie. As long as it does not feature Riley as a primary character, I would gladly watch a sequel to this movie. Her arc is done. We don't need more Riley. I want more Hellraiser. I hope this is successful. Hellraiser might become a viable franchise again, and that's great. I agree. This isn't about pornography. This isn't about getting getting someone off. Eroticism is a different beast. Can I propose something? Just to, I'm curious. Let's say the main character, instead of having gone after what he thought was pleasure, but it was sensation, what if he'd gone out after, let's say, love and then his heart was in a vice or some weird shit like that would you have been a little more lenient knowing that it makes sense there's not a lot of weird kinkiness that just was ignored 
because in this case it should have been there because mm-hmm. that's what his his whole vibe was so would that have changed your opinion much no if the character had one love what would love have meant to that character and what would love have meant to leviathan that's the answer that's the what, real question what did that character mean when he said love let's say roland Va- one love what was his version of love what is leviathan's version of love i imagine if i'm going by the way things are presented in this movie leviathan's version of love is adoration worship which would Uh probably be the same thing as the Viathan's version of power which is you become a cenobite because you love you become pet for a cenobite or some weird morbid shit like yeah i don't i don't know that's an interesting question i don't know you think of the other question like what is lore what if you can't know something without experiencing it Leviathan says you want to know what it's like the only way you can know is to become so you have to endure the sensation of becoming a cenobite so once again it seems like leviathan could warp half of its boons into becoming one of my slaves sensation okay here we'll put a a copper monster in your chest to make your nerves nightmares okay sure now resurrection what the fuck is resurrection for leviathan we don't know riley doesn't want to find out wisely exactly wisely we don't half of the potential boons that leviathan may grant you we don't know what the other ones are. We have no fucking clue. We can imagine, and I think pretty accurately, they will not be good for whoever is seeking these boons. Yeah, it seems like the way it's they a have wish it set up. Situation. Le- it's yeah, a wish Levi- Leviathan is probably the only answer, and even then, it doesn't mean you won. I mean, you say you, you say maybe you don't win. I think in some of these cases, the Cenobites have won because this is what they wanted. I honestly yeah. think some of them would probably be perfectly content. I guess to he's help, the, the, he's the kind of extreme with, right? freak that went yeah. this far and survived that shit. Is at this point, yeah, he's probably doing yeah. exactly what he's getting into. I think the Hell Priest is pretty happy with her decision, honestly. Yeah. I feel like instead of a battle at the end, the Hell Priest won twice. The Hell Priest, like, she wins either way. This isn't like the original Hellraiser movie where, oh, we're going to take you anyway, Kirsty. And then she uses a puzzle box to kill the Cenobites, and then bullshit happens. I mean, really, like, the, the conclusion of the original Hellraiser movie is garbage. The movie's great. The movie's a masterpiece until that point. And then it becomes schlock. This movie never betrays the Cenobites as characters. They do what they do. They follow the rules. I feel like in the in the original, they were a little more fallible. Mm-hmm. And that's why this movie is more true to the Clive Barker story in that sense than the movie Clive Barker directed. I guess that's why a lot of people, I don't know if they were all fanboys, but they thought this was like a, a pretty PG version of a Hellraiser. And I was like, well, it's not. It I, I, I understand it is because the sexual element has been removed, but the rest of it it feels faithful well no you're right i haven't seen him in a long enough time forbidden fruit going into taboo direction so yeah i I you don't see the taboo direction that's the thing it's just hinted at and talked about but you don't see it it's not the same sexuality in movies was taken advantage of by men against women for so long that instead of leveling it out they just cut it out this is a rated r because you glance a dick at the end yeah right that is it this movie is not kinky at all Mm -hmm. really you only get the kink in terms of makeup design of the cenobites there is definitely an air of eroticism to these there is definitely a sexual element to that speaking of i also wanted to just mention that the makeup artists were apparently the russell brothers for russell fx Mm -hmm. they did a fucking amazing job absolutely this shit is terrifying i saw that shit walking down the street i would shit my pants and run away absolutely (laughs) absolutely (laughs) 
It's time. Reddit interview, I think, with, um, what was the actress who plays Ben Clayton? Jamie Clayton. Jamie Clayton. Yeah, when she was getting into costume, what did you do? I remember her saying she listened to a lot of Nina Hagen and Depeche Mode. Mm. Uh, okay, that'll yep. put you in a weird fucking place when you're covered in makeup and you gotta act like some crazy oh. alien demigod. But Jamie Clayton, the way she portrayed the Hell Priest, like, you know, I don't give a shit about Doug Bradley anymore. I mean, I wish she had played the Hell Priest in every Hellraiser movie. I, mean, I, heard, I do remember some, some people in like reviews saying she was too, um, I don't know, maybe it was just like testosterone mansplaining, kind of like she was this and this and this. I was like, I don't, I don't know. She's pretty fucking uh, terrifying. It's a, it's a different portrayal of the character. But, uh, but also, I think it works brilliantly. Terrifying, but also you kind of want to fuck her and you kind of want to let her rip your head off while she does it. Oh, I would. I don't know. <laughs> There's something so cool about the designs of those Cenobites. The, the flesh yeah. becomes the vestment. I think that was my my favorite thing is the original ones some of them like i remember the big fat dude with like the welding goggles embedded into his face it looked like butterbean let's just imagine they're taking the human form and that is all they have to work with we're gonna make a latex mold of this actress we're gonna peel it off we're gonna chop it up and turn into some weird fucking shit we're gonna strap it back on her i want six more movies with this hell priest with these cenobites absolutely give me a yearly hulu hellraiser franchise yeah this shit i'd be thrilled an annual October the next three or four years that'd be great if they're this unsexual let's cut them to an hour and a half yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) 80 90 minutes will be good the way that our culture has vilified sexuality and then lionized yeah violence Miley Cyrus is the worst example of that in how people treated her like a sexual icon when she was a child and then when she was old enough she was like I'm a weird freaky sexual person they're like ooh, you nasty slut literally the second she turned 18 and she was like woo I got titties people are like no you're nasty that's fucked up after (laughs) sexualizing her as a child you'll suffer has barely begun. I could have talked about the Hellraiser franchise. We talked a little bit about we, it. We talked enough about it. We Hi, enjoy I, it. It's cool. It's weird. It's iconic. We get it. We love it. Let's let's go ahead and do it. Let's give a good greater garbage rating to 2022's Hellraiser reboot. I would definitely go with a good. It has some cool, interesting things. It's very well made. It just, like, the one character, cool. Everyone else was just a puppet, and it was kind of a weird situation that I immediately was like, I don't know. Well, Why yeah, do I that, not care about these people? I don't care it, about them it. at all. That was it. I think that he was probably character. the main flaw. They really developed this one character and you really are pushing for her to do good. Yeah. But I don't give a fuck. All these other people could die. Oh, no, no, they're all dead. Except yeah. for the one guy that you barely care about. I mean, look, you can complain about Mary or Frank being sketches in the original movie. I, I understood them. They felt like they existed beyond the parameters of the screenplay. I didn't get jack shit from 90% of the characters in this, in this no. reboot. I got Riley. That was it. Good, greater garbage. How you feeling? I mean, obviously, I wanted this to be great. Like the trailers and stuff. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. This is gonna, this is gonna be, look how cool they look. That held true. It was just yeah. the rest of yeah. the story kind of. There was some great, mediocre. great stuff coming into this. People were saying all the right things, and I will say, first off, before I get to my final rating, Jamie Clayton as the Hell Priest is perfect. She's perfect. Mm-hmm. The Cenobites in general, wonderful. The best Cenobites in this franchise. I'm not saying that lightly. Hellraiser 
Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 specifically are some of the best horror films I've ever seen in my life. But the problem is basically everything else. Not bad. It's good. Good, good, it, or garbage? The movie's good. I would say it landed in the middle of good. We, we've talked about a lot of stuff that's like, man, this was really close to great. This it had bits, but it was kind of in the middle of good. They well, you know, could have it, made a great movie out of oh, these parts oh, and a few adjustments. A few adjustments. I, I, will, I encourage people to watch it. Odessa, what's her name? Odessa Zion. Mm-hmm. She's great as the main character. In service of what? It's a very pedestrian storyline. My whole, maybe this is a bad expectation but my expectation when it comes to the hellraiser franchise i want you to try to push the envelope just try mm-hmm. yeah, no matter how great it looked ultimately i feel like that somehow comes down to either like the writing or the director or the producer or whatever because it was acted well the makeup's amazing even the cinematography like you said it's it's kind of flat at times a little but everything looks good and the original was kind of like dark and gritty and grimy yeah, but that was, was the gritty. point you could feel a texture between your fingers there was something this, to the way hellraiser more, looked more muted it feels too slick too like yeah. standard like a normal movie hellraiser should never look like a normal fucking movie there needs to be some deeper levels of weird yeah. shit whatever it is hulu or spyglass whoever the fuck owns the actual rights to this franchise it is now a franchise it's not a movie it's a franchise which means they cannot push the envelope too far because they might alienate somebody the original hellraiser hellraiser 2 they, they didn't can... have an audience no, to exploit they, they had push, they had they money to things. make a movie <laughs> We want to pay lip service to the good old days, but we want this to appeal to a potentially wider audience. And you know, that's the problem because Hellraiser in its essence, in its core, is never going to appeal to a wider audience. It's not a wide release thing. This is a a studio or a corporate entity trying to adapt an IP to appeal to a wider audience when it's never supposed to do that. Evil, kinky, fucking alien demigods. (laughs) Intergalactic demigods is not going to be a mainstream idea. Well, no, not bondage monsters from beyond the dimension. That's not not normal franchise material, so stop trying to turn it into that. But that's not the point. They're obviously going to keep doing that. This is owned by a corporate entity that wants to exploit it this is the best we can get i think this is it this is as good as it can get in terms of hellraiser in the 21st century unless some random entity who has no allegiance to independently wealthy right unfortunately this is hellraiser as it can be in the 21st century clive barker has apparently made his peace with that and is okay with it so i guess i have to be okay with it too hellraiser 2022 it's good i would gladly watch seven more movies featuring jamie clay as the hell priest why not she's great but other than that i have no enthusiasm whatsoever for this franchise i I don't care anymore i give up hellraiser judgment was a better hellraiser movie than this movie was if anyone listens to this episode they're probably going to take umbrage with that because they're going to think hellraiser judgment is garbage hellraiser judgment has some excellent concepts in it but is hamstrung by its lack of budget this movie had the budget was hamstrung by a lack of creativity which is worse i would say the lack of creativity is much worse than the lack of budget so gary j tunnicliffe the movie you made hellraiser judgment you tried you win so overall 
we're going to give Hellraiser 2022 a good rating. I would not put this film in the canon, but I will do one thing. I will put Jamie Clayton's Hell Priest in the canon. So can we put a character in the canon? Is that a thing? It's our canon. We can do whatever the fuck we want with it. Yeah. She'd be the Trapo Hell yeah, Official okay. Trapo Hell Priest. Our official Trapo Hell Priest is Jamie Clayton's Hell Priest. Why the fuck not? She's in the canon. The movie is guiding us all. So congratulations to you. Lament, Lord, Lauderet, Liminal. Lazarus, Leviathan, what would you ask of us? But yeah, okay, fine, that's it. We're done. But if you would like to join this particular conversation, we would be thrilled to have you. You can get a hold of us. We have a blog. Did you know that? Oh. Trapo show at blogspot.com. No, I uh, fucked it up. Like, oh, it's fucking Take two. I don't know if you know this, but we have a blog. Traposhow.blogspot.com. You can go there. Find the post of your choosing. Leave us a comment. Let your emotions flow on the blog. Everyone else does. Lord knows. We, hey. we love listening to your weird shit and thinking about the weird shit you guys tell us too we also have an email address yeah yeah no, look, look i'm gonna say it we have an email address it's out there we do we do people have emailed us travel uh, show at gmail.com it's happened max power emailed us that, that's thing. true his love he's, is real his love is real he's apparently doing grumpo right now with whoever the fuck else <laughs> like living in a fucking hole in the wall and worshiping satan i don't know what the fuck he's talking about but yeah we have an email address and if you dear listener would like to get in touch with us be a little more verbose tell us tell us your life story tell us whatever you want to tell us we don't care Triple show at gmail.com it's exciting this is an exciting time it's halloween time it's the best time of year we're talking about hellraiser we're talking about all sorts of goofy shit tell us your spooky scary stories getting off by the devil in the middle of the night we don't care to me twice two times (laughs) we'll talk about that later different episode thank you for joining us on our bizarre misguided ridiculous hellraiser conversation like if you agree with us thank god if you don't agree with us go fuck yourself (laughs) don't care we don't care dear listener until next time well i guess happy halloween for once because it's the halloween season and also uh i think it's time to get the fuck off the internet Incorporated Production.